listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. maybe a neighbor or a co-worker and you get into that classic argument on whose pastor is tougher. Um, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. I think we can all credibly say to all of our friends that our tougher is in better, our pastor is in better shape than their pastor. Um, <laughs> so if you haven't yet, if you have Charlie's number, you should definitely shoot him a text and just tell him, well done. Um, and then shoot Aaron a text and say, you're way more patient uh, than I am. Because uh, it wasn't just 14 hours yesterday. Charlie, it's been uh, hitting the road uh, so much over the past seven, eight months, including some Sunday mornings. He was up at 4.30 and like ran 12 miles, then came and brought us the word of God. So make sure you just uh, congratulate him on a job well done. And then you might have noticed that picture uh, right after the little video. That was Eric Smith, another member of our church who completed the Iron Man with him. Uh, so make sure next Sunday, uh, Eric usually sits right up here too. Uh, make sure you um, just pat both of them on the back and, and tell them well done and that you will probably never do that and I will probably never do that. Um, if you have a copy of God's word, uh, go to Ephesians chapter four and that will be our, our text this morning. I'll give you a second to get there. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the word of the Lord. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And all God's people said, amen. That will be our text this morning. If you look back with me at the first verse we read right there, chapter 4, verse 1, I love how Paul phrases this to uh, the believers in Ephesus. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner 
worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He repeats this line in his letter uh, to the church in Philippi, making this comparison. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, uh, which is a pretty incredible statement. It's one uh, that I've dwelled on a bit and thought about a bit and always seems a weighty verse to me to think about what it means to walk in a way to let my manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a pretty incredible statement. And when, when we think about that idea of the gospel, which we uh, talk about all the time, but we can't talk about too much, is this incredible reality that the God of the universe wants to allow us to experience the fullness of life that he offers to his creation. And the only way we can experience that is through the person and work of Jesus Christ, the God-man who came in, onto this earth contained himself to human flesh, lived a perfect life, was crucified, and then was resurrected from the dead, making a way for us to have a relationship with God so that we can cling to him and cling to his life and be set free uh, from our own sin and from the way of the world and so that we can be ruled by him. That is the calling of the gospel. Freedom to abandon all pretense, to abandon all other lesser things and instead have Jesus. And so when I think about the gospel and the just magnificence of that reality, the beauty of that reality, the weight of the redemption story of what God is doing in the world around us, and then to have the command from Paul to let my manner of life, to let my walk be worthy of that calling, that is a weighty statement, but it is one that we should ponder and reflect on and to think about. And so I love that that's where Paul starts right here with this passage we just read, to let our manner of life, let the things we do, the way we proceed through this life be worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And so what we've been talking about uh, within our church on Sunday mornings, we went through all these stories on how people were changed by Jesus Christ. So had they encountered him in his ministry and their lives just completely got flipped upside down, just like Will Smith in, when he was back in Philadelphia. Um, but then the reality of that is, my 90s roots came out for a second. I couldn't say flipped upside down and then not reference Fresh Prince. It's not in my notes. I don't know why I keep looking back over here. But people encountered Jesus. Life was forever changed. But hopefully you realize, and I have realized that when I encountered Jesus, even as a child, that was kind of the beginning of my journey with Christ. Like that was not uh, the end point, that was the kicking off point for a life spent in pursuit of him. And so once we have been changed, and that change is ongoing in my life and in your life, but there is this reality that there is the rest of our time here that God gives us of what we should be doing, pursuing, actively having as a part of our lives. And so that's why we've moved into this time now of talking about how we actually engage in the Christian walk. And so that's what we've been talking about. Charlie kicked it off last week on how we engage in prayer, this active, uh, everyday, unceasing communication with God, how he has allowed us to have access to him through his spirit, and we can engage in that every single day. And so it is along this question of Paul saying, let your manner of life, let your calling, let the way you walk be worthy of the gospel along the same lines of this calling. That's what we're talking about, these different things we engage in. And so um, to kind of set the tone for this morning, you know, I think it is helpful to think about that idea of what it actually 
actually means to engage in something. And so uh, Webster's this week, not always, but Webster's this week was helpful for me to think about, okay, like what are we actually asking of ourselves? And so uh, just to break it down, to be engaged in something very simply, uh, there's two definitions I really loved. One is to do or to take part in something. For example, engage in healthy activities. But another definition they offer that I liked even more, it says this, to offer something such as one's life or word as backing to a cause or an aim to expose to risk for the attainment or support of some end. For example, engaged is all in the king's cause. Thank you, Webster's, for coming in clutch for us this week. It doesn't always happen. And so what we're going to be talking about this morning, and you saw that question kind of front-loaded in the little video before I came up, was what does it look like to serve Jesus in my church? It's an important question. It's one that you will probably have to ask multiple times over the course of your life as you are pursuing Jesus. You should come back to this question. What does it look like to serve Jesus in my church? A couple years back, um, I kind of stumbled upon some article. It was near the, the beginning of the year and you can find all the different things like on how to reflect on your year or setting resolutions or whatever it might be. I think it was in Christianity Today, but I can't remember where I found it, but I found this list of questions to reflect on your past year and then also like set some goals for the coming year. And I really like the list of questions. So I kind of screenshotted it and I kind of refer back to it every uh, come every New Year's and think about these questions. And there's like 20 something questions. But one of the ones on there is this question. It says, what is the most helpful new way you could strengthen your church this year? And every time I read that one, it really convicts me. And so I come back to that question at least once a year. It's like, okay, how is God calling me to engage in his church? So all of you are here this morning. You chose to get up and avoid the rain and come uh, to church this morning, which I think is a huge blessing. And so uh, one of the things I just realized is that we're all going to have different ideas of what that means to be a part of a church. You know, we're in Texas, there's churches everywhere. I'm guessing most of you had some experience with church in your upbringing. And so we all have a different way we might view this reality of why you're actually in this room this morning. But the church is an incredible thing. And sometimes because I think of the product of the culture we've grown up in and just how accessible it is to be in a church building and to gather for a church service, we might lose sight of the significance of what God actually has called his people to do through the church. And so we use this word calling very specifically. And so I like that Paul uses that because I know often when I hear that, I kind of think of it in terms of uh, people who work in church. We think of uh, if you're called to ministry, but the, what the language Paul is using here is that everybody who has encountered Jesus Christ, and if you call yourself a Christian, he's saying that you're supposed to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that language is very specific. And so in the New Testament, when we actually first begin to get the word that we now translate as church, it originated with Jesus. And so it was as um, Jesus was teaching in his ministry and we knew that it was going to um, continue on the work of God, but it was no longer going to be this ethnic group, this specific people with the Jewish people that God had called out for his service, but now it was gonna be all people. And so the word that Jesus uses um, when Peter declares who he is and the first utterance of that in the New Testament, when Jesus says, upon this confession, I will build my church, he uses this Greek word, ekklesia. And this is not 
Um, It's a word that predated the New Testament in the Greek language. It was one that people would have recognized. And what it literally meant was a called out congregation of people. And so at times in different cities in that region and context, that language, sometimes an ecclesia would be posted. And it's like, hey, if you qualified in a certain way, these people were called out for service. And so think of it as like kind of forming a posse. It might have been a public town notice that an ecclesia had gone out, a called out people. If you like fit these ages, fit these requirements, you were supposed to be part of a mobilized force going out to accomplish some task. And that is the definition, that is the word Jesus used to describe his followers. And so calling is an appropriate term for all of us who would identify as Christians. You are a called out people. God's congregation is a called out congregation, a mobilized force that is supposed to accomplish a task in the world around us. Church is not an event you attend. Church is a family you belong to. It is a mobilized congregation, congregation that has been called out by God. It is the movement of Jesus that he set forth with his own life into the world and a movement that is so significant that the word of God calls it the bride of Christ, calls it the body of Christ, calls it the family of God. The church is not an event we attend. It is a calling that Jesus himself has called us to participate in. And so the question this morning is, what does it look like to serve Jesus in my church? You know, this relationship that we have to each other and to our Lord and Savior is a significant relationship. And the Bible does speak to a lot of how we are supposed to engage in that reality that we are united not only to Jesus Christ, but we are also united to everyone else who has also been changed by Jesus Christ. And that is that called out congregation. We are a part of a people together. And so I love that God's word has a lot of descriptors on how we are supposed to engage in that relationship of being part of the called out ones. And so you see that in those early verses that we uh, read together right there where it talks about everything being one. Look again in verse four. It says, there is one body, One spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Um, Hopefully you can pick up the same way that I did. Uh, Unity is a big deal to God. And so when we're talking about the relationships in this room and with fellow believers in Jesus Christ, the reality that the Bible paints is that there is supposed to be this unity in the body in how we relate to one another, that we are all part of the same faith. We have one Savior in Jesus Christ. There is one Spirit that God bestows in all of our life. We have been called to one hope that's in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's one baptism with which we have been baptized in. The unity of the followers of Jesus Christ matters to God. It's one of the indicators of how we are supposed to interact in this arrangement that God has called us to called church. There is supposed to be unity. And so I love all the different descriptors he gives that we're supposed to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit with one another. But something unique happens right here in this verse. So he says one like 19 times. But look, look at verse seven. He, he kind of pivots a little bit in how he describes our interactions in the body of Christ. So one God, one father and all. But then verse seven says this. But 
grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so we've been called into this one body of Christ, all together, united in love for him and for each other. But then Paul sprinkles in this distinctiveness about each and every single one of us. Because as we know, uh, all of us have different personalities. We've been wired differently. We've been um, uh, given with different talents. We have different life experiences that shape and inform who we are. We have different families of origin that have had an impact on who we are and how we engage in this relationship. And that is not uh, adverse to the message of the Bible, right? Here it's saying, hey, we're all uh, maintaining a unity of the spirit that we have one hope to which we've called, but grace was given to each of us. And there's a distinctiveness to that. That's what it says. It says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And I think that's important for us this morning because I do want to answer that question is how am I supposed to serve Jesus in my church? I do want to talk about that specifically. And that's where we have to go in the Bible to what historically the church has called spiritual gifts. And maybe you've heard that term if you've been in church long enough. It is a reality that is painted by the scriptures that when you have placed your faith in Jesus and God has sent his spirit into your life, what it says is that Jesus has empowered you with gifts so that you can interact in this relationship of being a called out member of God's body the way he has designed you to work. And so there's a couple other points in scripture that I wanted to bring up that talk about the same reality. Paul talks about it a lot to the church in Corinthians. Uh, one passage says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. The author of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 2.4, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This was not a new idea for the people of God. All the way back in Exodus 31, uh, God said this um, in verse 1 through 5, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge in all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And so maybe you've heard this, maybe this is a new idea, but the reality is that if we are called out people that God has set in motion this movement in the world with uh, tasks to accomplish for his glory, to display it, that Jesus is worthy of it all to the world around us, how God accomplishes those tasks in the world around us is that when we receive his spirit, it brings out in us these gifts that Jesus has um, provided us with so that we actually can accomplish the work God calls us to. And so maybe you have heard this. Maybe at some point in your life uh, you did a spiritual gifts assessment or you've heard some teaching on it or maybe you have felt empowered and you know how God has brought that about in your life and so you get to walk into those things that God has uniquely gifted you for or, or maybe this is a new idea. But the reality painted in the scriptures is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you specifically will have unique abilities to interact in the church 
for the glory of God and for the good of the people around you. If you picked up on that in the Hebrews quote, it says, according to his will, God has given us various, I'm sorry, in 1 Corinthians, it says to each is given the manifestation of the spirit. And what does it say at the end? For the common good. That's what God has done in your life through your declaration of faith in Jesus Christ. He has gifted and empowered you to accomplish his will in the world around us. God set this, motion, this movement in motion and he supernaturally empowers his followers with the abilities necessary to accomplish his will in the work around us. Uh, I love um, verse 11 and 12 because I feel like this is where we typically derail in this conversation about how are we supposed to serve the church. This is what it says uh, as Paul's describing some of the ways God does this. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. I, I know so often in my experience, um, even prior to when God had called me to be a pastor, it is very easy in this arrangement of how we design church that we think uh, those are the chosen ones of God and it's their job to accomplish God's work in the world around us. And we kind of just get to see the people that have uh, this prominent position up on stage. And so it's easy to fit into that mentality of like, there's kind of the special people God's going to use. And then I'm part of the, uh, the other group of people um, that are just kind of around the periphery. But I, I think this is really important. So God, uh, Paul says right here, he says, you know, God gave apostles, uh, that's a called out one, a prophet, somebody who spoke for the Lord, an evangelist, those who are spreading the, uh, the word of Jesus, the shepherds, the teachers. You know, a lot of times we just kind of break that down to pastoring. This is what it says in verse 12 says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Usually I think of prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers as doing ministry. But what it says right here is that they have a job to do, a task to do, but it's to equip everyone else to do ministry. It actually paints this distinction that there's a specific role that teachers of the word of God are supposed to do, but it is for everybody else to actually accomplish ministry that God has called them to. And so when we put that box around what it means to be a, a minister of Christ or to engage in the ministry God has called us to, if we put that around just the people that get to speak about the Bible on Sunday mornings, you're actually straying into an unbiblical area because uh, Paul made that a distinction that the work of ministry is the thing that every other member of the body does, not necessarily the one who's up on stage teaching. And so I, I love my job and my calling because what I get to do is to stand up here every week to open the word of God and I get to point out the beautiful things things of what it means to follow Jesus in the hopes that you will fall deeper in love with him and be transformed by that relationship so that you feel empowered in that relationship to go out into a world that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and to do the work of ministry. You are just as much a minister of the gospel as I am, as Charlie is, as any of our other staff members. What the Bible says is that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that God has a role for you to play in his work in the world around us. This is how Paul describes it in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. He says this about people who've placed their faith in Jesus. You are God's workmanship. You have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance that you might walk in. 
Ministry is what you are doing for the glory of God every single day of your life. That's why I loved that Exodus passage because I think it does help us uh, kind of broaden our minds about what God might have empowered you with for his glory and for the common good of those around you. Like that's what it talked about right there with Moses that there was a guy that God's like, hey, my spirit has made him a great craftsman. This is literally what I talk about in Exodus. Like, hey, the, um, my spirit has given him wisdom and knowledge on how to craft things and form things. And that was the ministry that God had called that guy specifically to. Like, hey, this is a gift I am giving you for my glory and for the common good. And so as uh, God was revealing himself to the people of Israel and they were um, forming the tabernacle and God was uh, bestowing all this beautiful imagery upon them, like, hey, create this, create this, create this. He gave some people some special talents and abilities to accomplish his will. And it wasn't something that we always put in the box of being spiritual, but God said that was a gift of the spirit to make him an excellent craftsman. And so we should take that to heart that there is the reality that maybe our view of what ministry can look like is probably too small. And we are too quick to discredit ourselves in the abilities God has given us. And we take that out of the realm of the spiritual to our own detriment and to the limitation of the common good and the limitation of our ability to declare God's glory in the world around us. Like it's my job to spend a whole lot of time in the word of God so I can extol the beauty of Jesus so that you fall deeper in love with him and you realize in that relationship that he has gifted you and wired you and made you and given you the experiences you have so that you can take them out into the world to glorify him around everybody you encounter. You are a minister of the gospel. God has equipped you, he has called you, and he has positioned you where you are to do the work of ministry in the world around us. Uh, I, I love in, in verse 16, right at the end, and we're gonna look at that real quick, that it says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You have a role to play in the church needs you. That is a reality straight from the word of God. The church needs you because of what Jesus has done in your life and the, because of the way he has specifically equipped you. And I'm sure there is many of you on a Sunday morning who sit in here and you don't necessarily feel needed. Because one of the realities with all of our experience with church, um, we do on some level, we, we kind of operate like an organization. And I don't think that's unspiritual. It's just a reality. Uh, some of us are paid staff. We have this building. There are different people who uh, complete different tasks for the church. And one of our just like goals as a church is to help people plug in to the mission of God in the world around us, but also specifically the mission God has called us to here at Park Springs. And so kind of how we interact in that is a lot of you serve in different capacities here at the church. There's some basic needs that we have every single week. One, it, it works out pretty well for adults to be in the room and tiny children to not be in the room. And so I know a lot of you take time to serve in our children's ministry. That's a reality. It's a huge blessing uh, for those of us that are parents that we do have this opportunity about an hour every week to hear from the word of God without also having to take care of children. It's a huge blessing. And so, so many of y'all engage in that area 
area of service in our church. So what kind of happens over time is that if you're here long enough, one of us will track you down and be like, hey, are you serving anywhere? Um, And then if you're not, we're like, well, you should. And so we kind of push you in that direction because of these biblical calls and because of just the needs of the body, we encourage you to use the gifts God has given you. And so what happens over time is like, we kind of have this list. Here's like all the different areas of church Uh, that we need people to help us with. You know, there's like six or seven of us that actually um, receive payment for the work here, but there's a couple hundred tasks that happen every single week. And so you might have done that for us before. It's just like a little Google Doc, like, hey, here's all the areas of church. Where would you like to serve? And so maybe you check a couple of boxes. We try to get you plugged into some different teams. We get you at the door. We get you serving coffee. We get you helping with kids. You maybe help on Wednesday nights. Maybe you mow the grass. And it's all these incredible ways you can kind of plug into this reality of God calling us all together to use our gifts, use our abilities for his glory. But here's what happens sometimes. You you look at that list and you kind of know the things that God has equipped you with and you don't see yourself on that list. And so let me just tell you, like as a pastor, and I've, I've been in the church my entire life, like I know sometimes we miss on helping you understand and know what God has gifted you with so that you can plug into a role that uh, builds you up and blesses others around you. I, I, let me just hear, it's a confession for me. Like I know sometimes we miss that people have gone through their lives in church and they never hear um, their ability, their gift validated, their talent that God has uh, placed in them, um, uh, affirmed and pushed forward, or as Paul said to Timothy, fanned in the flame the gifts of the Spirit. And so just, just know uh, from, from me to you, um, we're kind of on this journey together. Like, I know the church doesn't always get this right. We don't know all the areas of service. We don't have an exhaustive list for you to find yourself in. And so just know, like, uh, this relationship is actually supposed to proceed in relationship. That once again, it's part of my role that God has called me to, to help equip you for the work of ministry. And that's going to be impossible to do for over 200 people on an individual level if, if all we ever do is you hear the teaching on Sunday mornings. It has to be done in relationship. And so once again, I mentioned that some of y'all at some point maybe did like a spiritual gifts assessment. And I don't think that's a a negative thing, but I, I think it would be much better if in relationship, if you viewed yourself as a part of this faith family, that over time, as God gives you opportunities to serve people around you, people are going to recognize, call out, and affirm the ways that God has uniquely wired you for the blessing of others. And so we're on this journey together. We are supposed to be pursuing Jesus together. And in that relationship, we're supposed to be discovering the things that God has placed uniquely in all of us for his glory and for the good of others. So let me put two things in your mind. As you follow Jesus, as you interact in his church, you should ask yourself the question like, okay, like what just makes my heart beat a little bit quicker for God? Like, where do I receive this joy of the Father when I am able to do this thing for others? So you should be introspective. You should be thinking about how God has wired you and that relationship you have with Jesus. It says, but the grace given to you by Jesus, that gift given to you by Jesus, you should be examining the areas of your life and be asking yourself like, okay, God, like what have you equipped me for? If I believe your word, I know it's in there. Maybe I haven't seen it yet. So be introspective, be asking yourself, how has God wired you to bless the people around you? But then also you should be on the lookout on behalf of others. 
because we are all in this family together. And I know for me that I began to discover some of the ways God has wired me because other people validated it for me. Hey, when you do this thing, I receive a blessing from God. And so be on the lookout for those around you. When you see that person, how they serve or that unique ability they have, be quick to offer encouragement. Be quick to say like, hey, God blessed me through that thing that you did so that we can continue this journey all together. And so that is the goal that we engage in this as a people that have been called out by God for his glory, for the good of the world around us. Would you look again in verse 13? Because this is what it says when we do engage in this. It says, building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Each church is kind of this unique endeavor that God is doing in local communities. There's two ways to understand the church uh, that are both biblical. One is the universal church, that if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are part of one body. Every single person who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior is united in that pursuit. And that's what Paul was talking about at the beginning of this passage. One faith, one Lord, one baptism. There's one church with Jesus the head. But then there is also the reality of the local church, that we are a, a unique body biblically, and the word of God speaks to local churches differently. And so if you know the, uh, the passages in Revelation, Jesus sends seven letters to seven different churches because all are kind of doing a different thing. And Jesus has some different correction specifically to that local body of believers. And so maybe just due to geography or um, some preference, God has placed us here specifically as part of Park Springs Bible Church. There is going to be some uniqueness to that. There's going to be uh, uh, some different emphasis to that of how God has called us to this body at Park Springs Bible Church that we uh, kind of answer to one another. We are to hold each other accountable. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. We're supposed to be a guard and protection to each other so that our lives don't get too far removed from that relationship with Jesus. There's something unique God is doing here. And so what this describes right here towards the end of this passage that as a church, we will not reach our full potential for what God is calling us to if we are not all engaged in serving the body together. And so I've seen God do some incredible things at this church. It's been an amazing blessing in my life the past 10 years. I feel like I've grown up here and experienced so much of what it means to follow Jesus with the relationships in this room. We've had some hard times, but then we've also seen God do some incredible things. It's been a blessing how many times I've gotten to baptize someone here who placed their faith in Jesus, how many uh, Bible studies I've gotten to lead, the times we have been together and worshiped God. God's done some incredible things here. But here's what I know. God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And one of the ways God wants to accomplish that is that it's not just the staff, it's not just the elders, it's not just the deacons, it's not just the women's leadership team. It is every single person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ engaged in serving God out of the gifts of the spirit God put in them for the common good. 
And I want to see what God can do. <clears throat> when we all just get a measure of what that means to follow him in that way, sold out completely for his glory and for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. About 12 miles north of San Francisco is 554 acres of protected land called Muir Woods National Monument. Who's been there? Okay, you're lucky. I haven't. Um, <laughs> I Googled that. Um, yeah, but I have seen all the pictures. So if you know, it's all of the giant redwoods, the sequoias that grow in just that incredible forest uh, that always makes me think of Return of the Jedi and the Ewoks. Um, that's what I kind of picture. But those trees are just amazing. Uh, you know, it's so cool. Um, the one that used to have like the cutout where cars could actually drive through. And there's something just really unique about seeing that forest that even the pictures convey to some level. Um, and so those, those trees, those giant redwoods, it's like this old growth redwood forest uh, that are some of the oldest and largest living things on our planet. Uh, so those trees can grow up towards like 350 feet tall. Uh, there's one that they estimate is about 1,200 years old. Uh, so it's just as far as like living things, that's kind of as old and as cool and as big as we get on this planet. But there's some unique aspects of that specific type of tree and specifically that forest. Um, so one of the unique aspects of those old redwoods is that they do not have a taproot. And so some of you gardeners will know what that means. A lot of plants have one large central root that kind of goes straight down so that it can have a lot of access to different nutrients. And so there's some type of trees that kind of their root system kind of mirrors what's above. So the taller it gets up here, the bigger it gets down here, and it kind of spreads out and kind of looks similarly. It's, it's not the case with these redwoods. Uh, and so those redwood trees, that type of tree, their root system only goes down between six and 10 feet which is kind of unique because those trees get over 300 feet tall. Uh, so the unique aspect of that old growth forest and its longevity and its size is that their roots do not go very deep, but they do spread out about 60 to 80 feet. So 300 foot tall tree only has about 10 feet of depth, but 60 to 80 feet of width. And what they, those sequoias do is that their roots actually intermingle. And so it actually forms a root network that goes throughout the whole forest that is not an individual tree, but they actually have found that those roots can share nutrients. And so the whole forest is interconnected uh, below the surface level because their roots have cross-pollinated with all the other trees in the area. And so that they can be one of the oldest and strongest living things on the planet because they're interconnected to others. And to me, that is one of uh, the, the clearest pictures of how God has designed his church to work. That it is every person engaged in the cause of Christ that brings about growth, that brings about unity of the spirit, that brings about the incredible work of God in an individual body. And that's what he says. He says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We will be our healthiest and our most impactful as a church in the world around us when everyone in this room engages in using their spirit-given gifts to serve the movement of Jesus. Not because anything is lacking in Christ, but because that is how God has designed his body, the church, to work. 
And so it is contingent on you of plugging into your relationship with Jesus and asking yourself the question and bringing it into the relationship of the church of how am I supposed to serve Jesus at my church? Would you pray with me?